years ago, I snapped a tendon in my ankle. It was my senior year in college, and I was a, a player and a coach for the St. Mary's fencing team. I had not previously, and have not been since, a particularly talented athlete. But for a few years there, in the very, very small world that is the Mid-Atlantic Collegiate Fencing Association, I was slightly above average until I hurt myself. I wasn't actually even fencing. I was leading the team in warm-ups. I was, I was jogging, and my foot went one direction, and the rest of me, which is a lot of me, went another direction. The story has a happy ending uh, that we'll get to, but for now I want to say that this is one of the ways I enter into that story from the book of Genesis. For the rest of his life, Jacob, now called Israel, walked with a limp from where his hip was put out, the story says. I, I don't usually limp. I do tend toward boots or high tops because there is a tendon that is about a third as wide as it should be in my ankle. I wonder, though, if the twinge in his hip as he walked was a reminder to Jacob not just of his injury, but the cause of it, that he was wrestling with God. Much of my life in religion has been a long wrestling match with the source we are talking about this week. The UUA bylaws that we've been on this series about the last five weeks say that our congregations affirm and promote Christian and Jewish teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. There's the language of the source you can find in your hymnal, the little cards we gave out a few weeks ago. Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. So first, a few objection questions, wonderings in deep love for our tradition. First, Jewish and Christian traditions, teachings are, are often quite different and conflating the two of them into some joint hypothetical Jewish Christian heritage flattens down the fundamental differences. Take the, the book of Isaiah. In the Hebrew scriptures, it is a prophet calling the people to repentance and rebirth following the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. In the Christian Old Tem Testament, the same exact words appear, still labeled Isaiah, but they are now seen as a metaphor pretty directly foreshadowing the birth of the Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. That is a different message. Because of this mashup, I'm, I'm going to intentionally focus on our Unitarian Universalism's relationship to Christianity this morning. We'll talk about Jewish heritage next month during the High Holy Days. The second uh, objection or question is that even given all that, we still have this witch problem in the sources. Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Jewish and Christian teachings include 3,500 years of writing 
of teaching, of thinking, and action. And I promise there are wise people in those traditions over all of that time who have spent time on more topics than responding to God's love by loving our neighbor as ourselves. There's more in the tradition than that one statement. Arguing over how we describe our relationship with institutional Christianity is a thing that Unitarian Universalism has been doing literally since its birth as an institution. At what we might call the first General Assembly, held in Syracuse in 1959, as the two denominations were thinking about merging but hadn't yet voted to merge, delegates met to write the Constitution of the Unitarian Universalist Association, what is now our bylaws. Originally drafted by the Unitarians, what is now our second source read, quote, to cherish and spread the universal truths taught by the great prophets and teachers of humanity in every age and tradition, immemorial, immemorially summarized in their essence as to love God and love to man. The Universalists were incensed. And they voted to add a clause, immemorially summarized in our Judeo-Christian heritage as love to God and love to man. And they debated this for hours and hours and hours and hours. And sometime after midnight, they came up with a compromise immemorially summarized in the Judeo-Christian heritage as love to God and love to man. They changed our heritage to the heritage. This is how it stayed for a generation or so before we collectively decided that the gendered language of 1959 was not a good fit for the UUA of the late 20th century. Now it is our congregations affirm and promote Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbor as ourselves. So we've had some long complicated history around struggling with how to connect with Christianity. Here's a couple things that I know to be true. Unitarian Universalism as a faith is not Christian. Any definition of a Christian denomination would depend on a practice of baptism, a shared understanding of salvation, and some definitive answer to what happened 2019-ish years ago just outside of Jerusalem. We don't have definitive answers to those questions. Unitarian Universalism as a faith is informed by Christianity. The, the format of our Sunday morning services follows a relatively traditional Protestant formulation. Unitarian Universalist ministers wear stoles. The symbol of a stole is, we're told at ordination, is a reminder of the towel that Jesus wrapped around his neck to wash the disciples' feet. It is a sign of being a servant. We also know that individual Unitarian Universalists can and often do identify as Christian. And we know that individual Unitarian Universalists also come into our congregations deeply, deeply wounded 
by the Christianity they have experienced and left. And for me, the last and in some ways most important truth for me to name is that while I do not identify as a Unitarian Universalist Christian, I was neither baptized nor confirmed, I am privileged not to carry wounds from my interaction with Christianity. Christian colleagues, friends, and professors have taught me what it is to freely follow Jesus, moving through the world with grace and beauty and wisdom. I have learned from and loved that wisdom. I often say I speak fluent Unitarian Universalist, but my accent is Methodist. <laughs> so this summer, while being clear to the rest of the board that I do not call myself a Christian, I joined the national board of the Unitarian Universalist Christian Fellowship. They needed somebody to take their minutes. And national volunteer boards are exactly like church volunteer boards. If you're in the meeting and they say, who's going to volunteer for this thing? Sometimes you end up volunteering for this thing that you didn't know you were going to volunteer for until the moment. Anyway. I could preach on music and grace and the parables just about every Sunday if it was about me. But we know in ministry that this is not about me. All that is necessary context, I think, for this next question. Given that we aren't a Christian denomination, what use is there in explicitly identifying it as one of our sources and engaging with it on Sundays and in church programming? There's a lot that could be said about the corrosive effect of contemporary American Christianity in the world. There's an old Methodist hymn that goes, they shall know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. And it seems impossible to give this sermon without acknowledging that in many ways, over the last 40 years, that hymn has sounded hypocritical at best. Kurt Vonnegut put it this way, for some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes, but often with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount be posted anywhere. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon. A century ago, fundamentalist Christianity was defined, defined in their documents by an apathy towards political engagement. In the last 40 years, however, groups like Focus on the Family and Liberty University have defined themselves and in large part defined Christianity by what they are not, by opposition to access to abortion, to LGBTQIA rights, and I know that there are folks in this congregation, in this room, who are uncomfortable with Christianity having any place here because of what institutional Christianity has been. I wanna say that I, I hear you. I know that that's part of what makes up this congregation.
And aside from Unitarian Universalism's historic roots as two Christian denominations that merged, I see three main reasons for robust engagement with the language and culture of Christianity. The first is that when we're out doing the work of justice in the world, religious literacy is really, really important. Way too often, we end up in situations where the only voices that identify as religious are speaking nonsense. We need, and I, I mean all of us, as members of a faith community and people involved in American civic life in 2019, to be able to say, you shall also love the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And to say that's from the book of Deuteronomy. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien yourself, as yourself for you were aliens in the land of Egypt for I am your God. That's the book of Leviticus. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. The Gospel of Matthew. Those aren't proof texts pulled out of context to prove a point. Welcoming the stranger is a strand that runs through the tapestry of scripture from the earliest stories in Genesis straight through Paul's letters. I don't want to give those texts up. I don't want to cede scripture to Jerry Falwell. The second reason is that authentic relationship with our neighbors and our ancestors requires that we do this work. Authentic relationship is based on mutual trust and respect and a little bit of mutual understanding. This summer, the other board that I joined was that of the Faith Coalition of Lancaster County. And it's made up of representatives from a variety of places of worship in Lincoln. FCLC assumes respect, but we also spend time teaching and learning about each other's traditions. And I need it to be possible for me to say to one of our members from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know I'm, I'm never going to convert, and we both know that, but I see and I honor what this has brought to your life. We live in a predominantly Christian town. That's, that's just the truth of Lincoln, Nebraska. And the other truth is that I'm excited to bring in some guest speakers from around Lincoln to share this pulpit as we build partnerships in the city. And I want to be able to tell them, tell them that while they're not preaching to a congregation that identifies as Christian and that there are Christians and non-Christians in the room, they will be received with as much grace and joy as we extend to every guest here. And the third reason for engagement is probably related to the first, that there is power in these stories. What did you make of the time for all ages this morning? If it had been the parable of the prodigal son, 
so many of these stories still, still, still speak, still have lessons to dig into. The prodigal son, the good Samaritan, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The story of an exodus from Egypt, inspiring movements of people out of bondage for millennia. Prophet Amos asking, what does God ask of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Jacob is wrestling with God in the story because he is about to try and reconcile with his brother Esau. And it's an old and bitter rivalry, and Jacob is worried that his long estranged brother is going to kill him in the morning. So he goes off into this lonely place and there wrestles with a man that he meets. He fights with God, holding God down and demanding a blessing despite his injury. And here's the end of the story. After the night of wrestling with God, Jacob goes to meet his brother and Esau welcomes Jacob home. Jacob, the story goes, still walked with a limp for the rest of his days. For me, the story says a few things. First, it's not a bad thing to wrestle with tradition. If it's part of your theology, it's not a bad thing to wrestle with God. And at the same time, occasionally that wrestling can hurt. We carry wounds individually and collectively from how we have struggled with this. Some of those wounds are proud. Every time my ankle twinges, I'm reminded just a little bit what it meant to develop a skill and be good at that thing. And it also needs to be said that some of the wounds we carry aren't good. There isn't inherent moral goodness in suffering. Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is part of our tradition. It is part of who we are as a community. So, as we start to draw to a conclusion in this six-week series on the sources of Unitarian Universalism, I would encourage you, if you are able to do this in a way that is safe and healthy for you, to engage with this source in the same way that you would humanism or direct experience or earth-centered tradition, any of the other Sundays that we've had in this sequence. Our faith is a tapestry. Each one of us draw on different threads at different times. May it continue to be so. And amen. <laughs>